and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Good to be here this morning. And uh, yeah, man, what an honor to be in this building again. Who was here on that Easter service, the very first service? Not that many. Wow. Cool. Man, it was a blast. So what an honor for us. It's a family to be back here with you all. I just got to take a second. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. That word honor actually means honorarium. Hello. So uh, you have some incredible lead pastors here with Pastor Mark and Abby. Can you just make some noise and tell God what you think about your lead pastors? And then just their support staff and just the other leaders in this house. They, you guys have world-class leadership here with Ryan and Mandy and Duel and Amber and Macy and Peyton and on and on and on. You guys really ought to thank God every day for your leadership here. It's hard. It's rare to find a team of leaders this united, dedicated. They don't just love you and think about you on Sundays. This is like a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week gig for them. And so you carry you, they carry you in their hearts all the time, and it's a big deal. So really, thank you guys for your leadership. You guys are doing a great job. Yeah. If you don't know who we are, uh, my name's Steve, my wife, Brooke. We have four little nuggets uh, in there and back in kids back there. And um, yeah, we've been uh, with Destiny for about six, seven years, six years, something like that. I don't know. I'm bad with time frames. So somewhere in there. Um, and we just are so thankful for what God's doing in Destiny Church across the board, Marshfield, Republic. And God's really up to something, church, in our, in our communities. Um, we are living in unusual days. It can't be business as usual. It's like everybody wants God to do a new thing, just as long as it looks like what he's already done, you know? And so, man, we're just so thankful for what God's doing and for leadership with our lead pastors, Chad and Tasha, allowing the Holy Spirit to move and challenging us to step into new places in the kingdom. So Sermon on the Mount, week two. How many is here last week with week one? All right, we'll catch you up to speed here. We're in a, uh, a series called Kingdom Culture. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. How many's ever heard that terminology before, the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's pretty common Christian terminology. We're going to dig into it a little bit today. Grab your Bibles. Anybody still bring a hard copy of the Bible to church? Do those still exist? Come on, we got somebody in the back back there. If you have a Bible with a Bible cover, throw that up, just so I know where you are. Just showed your age back there. All right. I love it. I love it. And put all of it in one thing, pens, notebooks, Bible, close it up, zip it, done. All right. Hey, grab your cell phones. If you're using version, you'll flip that open, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to get into Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you are in your version, you might want to flip over to message translation or, um, and that'll, that'll actually probably be primarily where we speak from. So Matthew five, verse one, if you don't have a Bible, you're in luck. We have three, four, how many magical Bibles in the sky do we have? Three or four for your viewing pleasure. Look at those. Okay. Matthew chapter five, verse one. If you're ready, look at your neighbor and say, let's do this. Come on, tell them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount teaching. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the reason why it's called Sermon on the Mount. No other reason. It was on a mountain, okay? After he sat down, his disciples came to him, and and he began to speak and taught them, saying, now we go into the Sermon on the Mount teaching. Right out the gate, he starts dropping bombs. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody say poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, 
they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Can anybody pick up on a pattern in that few verses? Come on, how many is thankful that we serve a God who wants us to live a life that is blessed? Anybody thankful for that? Hey, can you pray with me one more time? We need the help of the Holy Spirit today. Yeah, we, we do, God. We need your Spirit. Nothing we do today matters for eternity unless your Spirit is moving and breathing and touching hearts and resting on our movements and leading us into your will. And so that's what we ask for these next few moments. The fruit we're asking for, God, only comes by the activity of your spirit, that people would leave with more than a mindful of information, but that people would walk out of the house of God today a little bit more in love with Jesus than they were before. That fruit only comes from the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for your touch and your grace upon this in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Well, happy summer. How many's glad it's summer? Raise your hand. Yeah, we made it. Another summer. Going to the lake. We got family time. Getting out on the boat. Any fly fishers in here? I like to fly fish, you know, going camping. It's fun, right? Summertime. Now, if I had to lodge one complaint against summertime, it would have to be the bugs. Come on, anybody else? Can I get a witness? More specifically, the flies. Come on, I don't know what it is in the Midwest. Summer and flies, man, it is unbelievable. I can remember a couple summers back, it was so unbearable. It was kind of like an Old Testament plague. I don't know if you guys, did you experience that in Marshfield? Like episode of The Walking Dead, you kill one, six more take its place, you know? (laughs) Everywhere, in the car, in the house, on the back deck, in Republic, there'd be somebody preaching and all the lights on the stage, you can just see everything up here. There'd be flies buzzing the speaker every Sunday and they're like, swatting flies the whole time. It was, they were everywhere. You know, and so one day I'd had enough, okay? I'm going to take my life back. Uh, I'm going to declare war on these flies. Yeah, exactly. And the answer to how do I declare war on these flies, his name is Jojo, which happens to be our middle son. Uh, He's our outdoorsman, right? He asked for his first uh, pocket knife when he was three, I think. Uh, Got his first Red Rider when he was four. I mean, you draw a target on anything and that boy's going to shoot until he hits it, okay? One summer we found him hunting mice in the shed in the back with a BB gun, subdivision life. It's who he is, right? It's who he is. This is the answer to our fly problem, okay? Now the only thing left to do is my duty as a dad, let's turn this into a game that'll last all summer long, okay? Dad pro tip for you, write this down. You can put, you can turn killing flies, into a game that will last all summer long for your little nuggets by putting an electric bug zapper slash fly swatter in their hands, okay? Kind of like this right here. Uh-huh. What are you doing, Joe? And... Ow! Yep, just another day in the Ron household. Welcome to the jungle. There's just something significant about a clear target, 
especially when it comes to our walk with God. Um, there's a sense of confidence that comes when we're sure that we're not aiming in the dark, but that we have this clear focus of what our God wants from us, his believers, what he wants for us and what he wants from us. Okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be looking at again next seven weeks. Uh, this is our target as Jesus followers. It's our target. Matthew 5, for, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And what it does is it gives us the overall sense of what God wants in his interactions from us, his people. It's the most concise. It's the most precise presentation that you can find in the Bible of what God wants for us in terms of kingdom life, kingdom culture. It's not just a cute title. It's actually what we're called to live out every day, not just Sunday. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount the clearest description that you will find of what kingdom lifestyle looks like, okay? The Sermon on the Mount, it's the premier roadmap to kingdom living. It's the lifestyle that Jesus wants and desires for us to pursue and walk in. We should all be growing in this reality as Jesus followers. We want to be aiming at the same target God's aiming at, right? The Sermon on the Mount is that target. One uh, biblical scholar, he, he called the Sermon on the Mount, I love this, he called it the constitution of the kingdom. That's awesome, right? It's what Jesus lays out in these three chapters in Matthew. The most comprehensive statement on how a believer, how you and I are supposed to cooperate and partner with the grace of God. The Sermon on the Mount is grace teaching. Now, how many knows that the grace of God, it's not static, it's dynamic. Come on, help me out. It's not, it's not neutral. It's functional. In other words, we are called to respond and cooperate with it. Okay. Jesus did everything necessary for us, for you and me to have this increased and heightened spiritual experience. Okay. Now we have to respond so that we actually do have an increased and heightened spiritual experience. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, write this down. God responds to our responses to him. We're called to participate, church. Okay? Yeah. You got to be thinking, I thought grace is freely given. Yes, it is. Oh, absolutely. That is the grace message, but it's only half of the grace message. The other half of the grace message, which in my opinion has been grossly uh, ignored, the other half is that we are called to cooperate with that grace in order to experience it, okay? And if we teach the first half of the grace message, grace is freely given, without the second half, we have to cooperate with it, we are in danger of ending up in presumption. And if we teach the second half of the grace message without the first, we end up in legalism. How many knows? We don't want to end up in either one of those camps, right? We refuse, church, the distorted grace message that only gives us half the story. We want both halves of the message that equal the amazing grace of God. Both halves equal the grace of God, not one or the other. Okay? We're called to participate in the grace of God. As a matter of fact, go home, do your own study on it. 
You, you will not find a presentation in the New Testament of the grace of God that is not connected to the disciplines that cooperate with that grace. They go hand in hand. Okay, yeah, grace is free. But our experience of that grace requires our cooperation, right? As we realign ourselves and we position ourselves to be more than spectators in the grace of God, but rather active participants, the benefits and the beauty and the glory of that grace more increasingly touches our minds and transforms our emotions and brings us into glorious unity with the grace of God that's freely given. Are you following me? This is important because we're living in a culture today where we have one side of the grace message and that's about it. It's distorted church. We got to have both halves. The Sermon on the Mount, it's the most practical set of instructions given to us on how to engage and cooperate with God's grace. This is a really big deal. You should be here every week. So what we opened up with in the beginning, the very first 11 verses in this three-chapter teaching, okay? The first 11 verses, Jesus comes out swinging with eight virtues that are called, come on, somebody help me out. The Beatitudes, okay? Eight virtues that God is calling us to develop and grow in as we continue in our walk with God. This is how we should be growing and developing in these eight things. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in my walk with God. Well, now you do develop these eight virtues, okay? Now, this is what's cool. Tied to each one of these eight virtues is a blessing. How many loves this part? Come on right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. On and on and on. Hashtag blessed. Come on, right? Except, except the biblical idea of the word blessed probably doesn't fit very well into the gospel of the American dream that has primarily become about God blessing our external circumstances, right? For example, if my bank account's in the black, then I'm blessed. Come on, you probably said it. I know I have. If I got two cars in the garage that are paid for, I'm blessed. And if I got a gorgeous wife, a four-bedroom home, and more followers on Instagram than the Pope, I'm blessed. But when we read the word blessed in the Bible, it actually has very little to do with our external circumstances. I mean, that's in there, but it's way down on the list. But what you and I have done, I think, is we put it all the way at the top. Because I don't know about you, I love God blessing my external circumstances just like the next guy, right? But when the Bible uses the word blessed, it's primarily referring to a vibrant spirit or a heart that is alive and positioned to increasingly and actively experience the movement and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, are you blessed? Right? Which means I might have a fat bank account and I might have a thriving business and I might have a two cars in the garage, a lake house and win friends and influence people. But if I have a dull spirit, I'm not blessed. In the economy of the kingdom, you're actually bankrupt. God's calling us, beloved, out of spiritual dullness 
and compromise and spiritual boredom. It's easy to fall into that. He's calling us into a kingdom lifestyle where we're walking with a vibrant heart. We're walking blessed, alive to the activity of the Holy Spirit's leadership. He's calling his church into that place. And the way we get there, how do we get to that? The way we get there is through these eight virtues. Okay? These eight Beatitudes, it's not just what we're supposed to do, like another list of of to-dos. This is actually who we're supposed to be. Right? We are blessed when we embrace these eight virtues. Okay? Are you guys okay? All right, good. Okay? Now, I can't speak for you, but for me, I want a heart and a life that is sensitive and tender and in tune with the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Not just on Sunday when Josh is leading my favorite song, but on Monday when I'm sitting in my cubicle or on the job site. I want a tender heart. I want, when he's speaking, I want to actually be able to hear his voice. That's a vibrant heart. That's a blessed life. Well, I want to recognize those subtle impressions and those faint promptings that are actually happening in each of our lives if we're born again every day, but we get in such a big hurry that we don't even realize it's him. I want to be tender to those. That's a blessed life. That's a sensitive heart. That's a vibrant spirit. When God walks into the room, I don't want to treat it casually. I want a heart that's burning with love for Jesus. Let's not settle for less church. Let's not settle for Sunday morning church where we kind of listen and we kind of do Instagram and then we go home and we do it again next week and that's about it. Let's dive in. There's more church. And we're sitting in our pews and we are bored out of our minds spiritually because I've been there. Let's not settle for less when God's given us a clear roadmap for the best. Okay? If you want to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, more consistently, which by the way, if you're born again, there should be a gnawing desire in your heart until the day you die to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's not a gnawing desire there, then something's broken, okay? Now that's not a condemnation message. That's to cause you to lean into Jesus until he shows you what you need to realign, okay? You want to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You will experience more if you commit to these eight virtues, okay? Everybody in this room can do it. There's nothing on that list too hard for any person in this room. It's just, will we lean in or not? Okay, we're blessed when we do these eight things. So there, uh, there's no way I can get into all eight of these. Challenge for you, if you're up for a challenge, push pause from, uh, from this Sunday to next Sunday. Push pause on your regularly scheduled Bible reading and just stay right here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 11. And read through them. If you read through them 100 times, do it 100 times. And every time you read through them, you're, at, you're turning it into conversation with the Holy Spirit. Help me develop these eight virtues. Holy Spirit, give me living understanding. Help me to see what you see and feel what you feel. And little by little, day after day, year after year, if you stay in it, God will develop you in these things. It's not going to happen overnight. Nobody's asking you to be an expert by next Sunday. But little by little, God will develop your heart and shape these in your life. If you'll, de- if you'll cooperate with it. Okay? So we're not going to do eight. I'm going to give you one. The first one. Which is the foundational one. Okay? If we can get this one under our belt, 
And we can start developing this one. The other seven are like dominoes and they go down easy. But if we miss this first one and we try to do some of the other ones and kind of scatter it out, there's no way to do it consistently. You have to do the foundation first, okay? Matthew 5, verse 3. Check this out. Very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Come on, audience participation. Blessed are you when you feel your spiritual poverty. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so notice. There's a blessing and there's a promise attached to each beatitude. Okay? Side note. This is the only one that says for theirs is. Present tense. Is. The other ones are like blessed are those who who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. It's future tense. There's some, there's some present tense in there with that, but it's mostly future tense, but not this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is right here, right now, the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. It's pretty significant. Okay? So, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at what does that actually mean? Like, what is poor in spirit? Because I'm as guilty as the next guy. I blow through these at a fast reading pace. And I don't even like think about like, I don't even really know what poor in spirit is. Come on, right? So what is that? What is that? All right, so anybody else like me, have you ever had that sense like, ah, something's, I can't put my finger on it, but there's like something missing. Anybody? Like, yeah, come on. Like that movie, you remember Home Alone where she's eating her quiche on the plane and then she's like, Kevin! Like that? Anybody ever had one of those moments? Can't quite put my finger on it, and then ding, left the garage open, right? Well, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with our family's journey in 2020, um, our family of six, um, we spent the year studying and traveling across America with a group, a missions movement called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, So when we weren't traveling, we were studying on uh, and living on, studying and living on a missions base in Florida in our camper, our family is six, okay? So, um, so it's youth with a mission, right? Youth with a mission. So on this missions base in Florida, there are hundreds and hundreds of college-age students from all over the world that come to this missions base to do the same thing that our family was doing. They had given their yes to Jesus, living by faith, pursuing the Great Commission, and on and on, except These college students didn't live in campers. They lived in the dorms on base, okay? We were a little different. We weren't youth with a mission. We were just with a mission, okay? (laughs) So we got four kids. Our two older ones are teenagers. We never saw them when we were on base, except when they were hungry or it was time for bed, okay? Other than that, they were in the dorms with all the college guys hanging out, okay? They were living a college dream in their teenage years, okay? So these college guys and girls from all over the world, all these cultures is beautiful, pursuing Jesus. They welcomed our two older boys into their family. And, you know, they were just with them all the time. It was so good, you know, for our family to be around that. And just other students and my, my, my boys seeing other students like following Jesus literally with everything, right? All that to say, nevertheless, it was they were college students, okay? How many remembers their college experience? Don't raise your hand back there. Come on, (laughs) right? Right? Which means borderline sleep deprivation plus, you know, like uh, boredom plus, you know, just trying to find something to do and late nights. Oh, look who it is. 
It's Joseph and Elijah, the Ron boys, who will literally do anything for $10, including letting a bunch of college, college guys do this. Here. I was freezing. Show me all. Oh my gosh. Wait for it. Show me yours. Oh. <laughs> Call the sac. $10, is that it? Look at your neighbor and, and, and tell him this. Something is missing. Come on, tell them. Something's missing. Blessed. Yeah. $10. Are you serious? They just showed up the next morning like that. We're like, what in the world? They were like, they gave us $10. $10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And how do we cultivate this foundational beatitude? Okay. One sentence. Poor in spirit means that we are poverty stricken in a spiritual sense. In other words, we see our great need. We recognize something is missing spiritually. That God has more for me, more for my family than what I'm currently experiencing. Okay? And in my greatest efforts, on my brightest day, I will never in a million years be able to get to the more of God in and of myself, I can't experience it without God's help. I'm poverty stricken. It takes God to know God. That's the idea. Now, can I build on this? I'm just teaching today a little bit. Is this okay? Okay. Jesus has provided each one of us who are born again with a wealth church of spiritual treasure in the grace of God. It's 2 Peter 1.3. God has given us everything. Okay, how much is everything? Come on, audience participation. All of it? Everything? Or does he just mean like 85%? God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Okay, game on. It's been fully freely provided to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, this is the basic message of the good news. And so the day we, we get born again, Jesus in essence says, hey, this wealth of grace, these riches of glory, they are all yours. It's all yours. Now I want you to seek me with all of your heart. So I want you to respond to me so that you can experience the wealth of grace I have available to you in your thoughts in your emotions, in your life, and in your ministry to other people. It's all yours, except you have to press into God to access what's already all yours. Okay? A person who's poor in spirit says this, I see the great wealth that Jesus has made available to me. And I also see how little of that wealth I'm actually experiencing in my emotions, thoughts, and life. I'm poverty stricken in my experience compared to what's available. A poor spirit has an awareness of the deficiency. They see the gap. But not just that. I mean, knock on your door. A, poor, a person who has a poor spirit sees the gap, has an awareness of the deficiency, and goes one step beyond and says, it's not okay. It's not okay. And there's this holy urgency in somebody who has a poor spirit and this willingness, I will pay whatever price I have to pay. 
I will, whatever I have to do to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit a little bit more and to close that gap a little bit more, if it's the way I spend my time, I'll adjust it. If it's what I'm doing with my money, it's all yours, God. If it's relationships, attitudes, priorities, whatever I have to rearrange to get to the more of God, there is nothing off limits. I just need more of God. That's a poor spirit. Okay? If you want to look at it like this in two technical terms, maybe this will help you. We would say our legal position over here and our living condition over here. You guys following me? If you just say amen every now and then, it helps me, okay? Come on. Makes me feel better about myself. Okay? Legal position over here, living condition over here, okay? Your legal position, if you're a born-again believer, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everything in the grace of God is completely and 100% and fully available to you right now. It's been completely paid for. The work on the cross is yours. It's all there. That's your legal position. That's only half the story in the grace of God. What about your living condition? Or what are you actually experiencing in real time right now? How much of what's available to you by God are you actually and actively experiencing right now? Let me help you. The goal of your walk with God is that little by little and day after day, as you have a heart on fire for God and a poor spirit that that gap would get more narrow and more narrow and more narrow until one day the lines blur and your legal position and your living condition, there's no, there's no difference there anymore. That's what we're supposed to do till the day we die. Right? Can I give you an example? This will be challenging. John 14, verse 12. And I'm speaking to you out of a place of weakness. There's no way I'm doing any of this, even probably 50%. We're all growing. So let's go on a journey together. John 14, 12. This is Jesus, John 13 through John 17, upper room discourse. It's Jesus teaching his disciples in the upper room right before he goes to the cross. This is his final teaching. This is like been dubbed the greatest teaching from the greatest teacher. Let's pay attention. Jesus says, truly, I say to you that, what's those next two words? You need these two words. Whoever believes. Okay. So if that qualifies you, just raise your hand. Whoever believes. Some of you ain't going to raise your hand for nothing. I don't care. It's, I'm, I'm going to keep chiseling away. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay? What works did Jesus do? Well, let's start off with a simple one. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He opened blind eyes. He preached the gospel. He loved people well. Whoever believes in me will also do the works I did. And then he takes it into the stratosphere. And greater works than these will he do. Because I go to my father. This is not a suggestion. Okay. This is a promise made available to whoever believes. All of us. It's available. Right? It's readily available right now to whoever believes. I don't care if you've been saved for one day, it's yours. But I wonder how many of us are actually walking 
in greater works than Jesus did. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. Uh huh. There's a gap there, right? A poor spirit sees the gap and is willing to proactively and aggressively lean into the Father and make the necessary adjustments as the Holy Spirit teaches your heart in order to access the grace that's available to do greater works than Jesus did. That's just one out of a hundred. I mean, that's a round number. There's a bunch, okay? So the question is for you today, church, do you see your spiritual lack compared to what's available? And if you see it, church, if you see it, does it concern you enough to act on it? Does it move you to action? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can I contrast a couple ideas? This will kind of help clarify. Uh, so if we see our spiritual defici- deficiency, that like it's surface level. Let's just all be honest. From the, the, the most seasoned to the, the first weak believer, it's surface level. We've scratched this, barely scratched the surface, right? So if we see that, we understand our spiritual deficiency. We understand our spiritual experience is low compared to what's available. But it doesn't really move me to action. You know, it's just sort of a casual observation. I see it's there. But it's kind of just sort of like, eh, I, don't, it's not, I don't like it. You know, I don't like it. I'm not like happy about it. But there's not much I can do about it about it. I mean, it just sort of is what it is. Right? You kind of feel bad. Like, I know, I just, I feel bad about it, but I just not, I don't feel bad enough to take action. That's actually called a passive spirit. And uh, when it comes to this teaching, it's probably where most of us have a tendency to settle in and hit cruise control. A passive spirit. Passivity. It's just kind of what we do in America Sunday morning. And I'm talking to me and my six as well. It's just kind of what we do. We don't really like it. We know there's more, but we just, I just kind of, this is what we do in America. It's just, we is what it is, right? Passivity. Now on the other side, we don't even see the lack. Like you go, you don't even understand that there's a deficiency there kind of in, in, if, if this is where you are, it's just kind of like, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I'm, I'm doing good. I said the sinner's prayer. I'm going to get my family here. All those things are great. You're going to heaven. But yeah, and it's kind of like, I'm just doing, I'm doing great in my spiritual life. That's called a proud spirit. Yeah. And really missing what reality is. Beloved. God is calling us in this hour into a kingdom lifestyle, but you have to be willing to stir yourself up. You have to stir yourself out of passivity and pride. You have to, you, God is calling us into this foundational beatitude in an hour where the culture is raging. God is calling a people to stand up and develop these virtues that point people to Jesus. We, he's calling us to see our lack at a level where it actually creates pain and it's no longer acceptable, I, I'm, I'm going to throw myself into seeking God and seeking God at, at, 
in a real way. And we know the difference. I'm going to position myself to experience more of the grace of God, blessed to the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. This is our way into the kingdom, kingdom culture. It's a catchy sermon series, but it is so much more than that, church. It's who we're called to be. Okay, this is the way into the kingdom, but even greater than that, this is the way of the kingdom. In other words, you don't ever graduate from this. We will be doing this for all of eternity. When we get to heaven, we'll still be doing this. Okay? We have to constantly put before our minds how much God wants to give us. And the only way you will ever do that is if you open up your Bible on Monday and you get in the Bible a little bit. If you're just doing it on Sunday, it's not enough. You'll never develop these because you're not keeping in front of you what God wants to give you. And as you're reading, you're saying, you're turning it into conversation with the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Holy Spirit, I see a deficiency there. Help me cultivate this. And those small phrases, oh, God loves them. He loves them. You don't need hours of intercession a day, but if you'll engage in those small phrases, consistently, little by little, you'll grow into this kingdom culture thing. There's a massive supply that's readily and freely available, but we are experiencing so little, and so we keep reaching for more. We don't graduate from this. Band, you guys can come on up. If you got, I got one more scripture. You guys got one more in you? Okay. Uh, Turn to the book of Philippians, chapter three. Philippians 3. The book of Philippians. It was written by a man named Paul. Anybody heard of that name before? Kind of an obscure figure in the Bible. He's the artist formerly known as Saul. I have to say that joke every time because it just makes me feel good. (laughs) Christian jokes gone wild. Okay. Uh, By the time we get to Philippians... Um, it's likely written, it's written by Paul, but likely at the end of his Roman imprisonment. Okay, so get the movie screen going in your mind. Paul's sitting in a prison right before he's about to, to be martyred for the name of Jesus. Okay, and he's writing this, the book of Philippians. Okay, which means that out of the 14 letters that Paul wrote, this Philippians is the last one. Okay, all that to say, by the time Paul penned the book of Philippians, he's an old man. Seasoned. Been walking in his apostolic anointing and calling for years upon years upon years. Moving in the spirit. Encountering God. For years upon years. He is not, the the things of the spirit are not foreign to Paul. They they have become a part of his everyday life. He's seasoned. He's seasoned. Paul had seen the Lord himself on the road to Damascus when God kicked him off his donkey and blinded him and spoke to him in an audible voice. He's had experiences. Paul talks about receiving direct revelation from the Lord Jesus himself, which means... Paul would have been like sitting in a room somewhere and all of a sudden Jesus himself appeared to him and talked to him face to face. 
He had it happen multiple times. He is seasoned in the things of God, right? He's walked in the spirit, walked in power, signs, wonders, miracles. It was his lifestyle. He lived it every day, right? He had led major revivals. He was a missionary giant, planted multiple churches. He's a pastor to pastors. This guy has put in work for the kingdom, led thousands to Christ. Paul is most definitely a card-carrying member of the Jesus Club, okay? If anybody in history, if anybody in history had the right, I mean, Paul had experienced more of God and done more for God in one lifetime than, than all of us in this room probably would do combined. He's a giant. If anybody had a right to settle into idol and hit cruise control in their spiritual journey, it was Paul, especially at this point in his life. He's an old man. All of these beautiful, glorious things of God, he's seen it all. But what we find in this last letter of an old man of God is actually quite the opposite of cruise control. Look at this, Philippians 3.10. Oh, I just, I just want to know him. I just want to hear his voice again. I just want to get to that deep place of interaction and fellowship and communion one more time. I just want to be with him like a friend. I want to engage him. I want to know his heart. I want to know what's in his heart. I want to know what's in his mind. I want to feel what he feels. I want to see what he sees. I, I just want to know him. I just want more of him. Oh, are you serious, Paul? Are you kidding me? You're, you're really asking to know more God, to know God? That's what you're going to ask? Because that doesn't make sense. You have more experiences with God under your belt than we can count in the Bible. What Paul was doing when he said, oh, I just, I just want to know him. What Paul was doing was he's saying, I found the secret of poverty in spirit. I found the secret. I found the secret that no matter how many times I've encountered the grace of God, no matter how many experiences I've had with him, no matter how many revelations we get, no matter how many church services we attend, no matter how high we raise our hands in worship, no matter how many times we've experienced God, God into his word, there is always more. I just want to know him. There's always going to be a gap. And that gap is to cause his believers, his beloved bride until the day we die to pursue a lifestyle where we close that gap and we get closer to his heart. We don't graduate from this. And some of us are toting our cap and gown proudly, but we never graduate from this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.